You are listening to Everywhere You Are, a podcast produced by the Dawson Women's Ministry. At Dawson, we recognize that women's ministry is not a class or a club you join. Ministry is not confined to the four walls of a church building, and it's not limited by life stages or circumstances. Rather, ministry is living a life of service everywhere you are. This podcast seeks to encourage listeners everywhere they are, in the laundry room, driving carpool, taking a break for lunch at the office, or getting exercise. We believe God calls each of us to be ministers at all times in all places. Welcome to Everywhere You Are. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus gives what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. The first words of that sermon are, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Think about that for a moment. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? And how do we get that way? In this episode, we explore some thoughts about that very thing. Enjoy the conversation. Welcome to Everywhere You Are. I'm Rachel Langston, your host, and hosting with me today is Sarah Morland. And our guests today are Jenny Dansby and Dia Matthews. We're going to be talking about what it looks like to be poor in spirit. Jenny, where are you today? Well, I am a mom of two adorable children, six and three. I am married 12 years to Elliot, and um, we live close to Dawson in Bluff Park, so just over the mountain. And for the last five years, I have been running my own wedding planning business. And yes, and it has been (laughs) so much fun just to see God's hand on that and see that business grow. And um, it ties into a lot of um, what I've learned in the last five years of how God can really use just your everyday work for His glory. And Dia, how about you? Where are you today? Well, we haven't been at Dawson that long. Just love the worship here. I actually grew up in Dallas, Texas, a Southern Baptist in a Southern Baptist home and two parents. Uh, I guess we were maybe middle class, upper middle class and educated. Both my parents graduated from Baylor. So there was a lot of bears. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sarah's a Texas girl too. I'm a Texas. I'm from South Texas. We we must get together. Yes. I feel like there should be like a little sign for fellow Texans. Like you know how that's exactly what Texans would say. Southern Baptist, just think of it in the fifties and sixties. I know you all can't. (laughs) um, but it was a lot of wonderful programs going there every time the door was open, learning about the Bible and all of that. And it may sound idyllic to you. Ken and I got married. We moved here uh, in 1989. He uh, was at Beeson Divinity School. He actually retired last month after 33 years. So this has been a, cha- a big change for us for, for that. Wonderful. I love that. So poor in spirit. That's kind of a churchy, bible word. How would you define it? Well, I'll tell you what. I, as I said, I grew up in a Southern Baptist church, and I knew this verse. 
I talked about it. I was in GAs during the uh, STEP program and had read that all my life. But I didn't really ever feel broken in spirit. How can a little child feel that? However, I did come to know that in a really big way, but I had to get there. I realized in my workaday world, I worked after the kids went to school, and when I was working, you get so busy. Are you busy, Jenny? Yes. Okay. So so what happened to me was I was very very busy, very trying to keep in meeting, and I realized the farther I got from God, I'm a pretty good person. You know, I love my family. Uh, We went to church. Everything was great. But... I started getting closer to God. Oh, and I realized that being close to God just shows you your sin. And when you see that, you can actually begin to know what it is to be poor in spirit. So that's where I, that's what I like to call broken in spirit. Mm -hmm. Poor in spirit, broken in spirit. Your vast need for God. So that's where I was for for quite a while. And what drew me back to that scripture was that Jesus, when he started preaching, he said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near, it's at hand. Mm-hmm. And you know, the rest of that poor in spirit scripture is, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So since he preached that, and since I knew that verse, I thought, what is this kingdom of heaven? And it drew me in. It drew me into something that I never expected. But culture change, when he said that, he also preached to the group, including the Pharisees, that said, if your righteousness does not exceed that of the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And I went, oh, my goodness, I'm a Pharisee. Right. And, you know, and I just started wringing my hands because I knew what I grew up with. I grew up with offering envelopes yeah. that had, did you bring your Bible? Check? Right. Mm-hmm. Did you go to church? Did you tithe? Did you go to training union? But I thought, oh my goodness, that is what I've been doing is a crushing load of rules. Mm-hmm. And there was something missing. And I got it with knowing the Holy Spirit. I love that. What about you, Jenny? So when... Studying the Beatitudes, my the memory that comes to my mind is actually I had the chance to go to Israel and stand where Jesus may have given his Sermon on the Mount. And I remember thinking in that experience, and that was several years ago, and it's became more and more true in my life. Now that I'm married, now that I have kids, that poor in spirit is not, you're not walking around sad all the time. It's not, it's not necessarily that it's that you are so poured out because you've used all of yourself, yourself. And you're like, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to, I'm going to do this myself. I'm going to do it. I'm going to, I'm going to pour myself into this. I'm going to pour myself into my family. I'm going to pour myself into my kids. I'm going to pour myself into my job, to my home, to my church, even, even good things. But then you're empty and you're poor in spirit because you're, because you're all poured out. And then Jesus says, that's why I can fill your cup. That's why I can give you the energy and the grace and the mercy that you need. So when you are poor in spirit, that's when God can fill you up 
that's when he can embolden you and strengthen you when you are low because may I decrease so that he can increase in my life. And that's just what I've always thought about when I read that is like, I can be so far down. I can be so consumed with everything in the world that's going on. But then Jesus says, I have you. Here you are, my little poor in spirit. I'm going to lift you up. and I'm going to fill you up with me. And that couple never run dry. I was thinking about both of you are talking about sort of works-based, checking off the list and achieving. And you're talking about, you know, pouring yourself out out of your own strength and stamina and then God filling you. I think that that's true. So often we don't start with being poor in spirit and the things that we think we can do. It's only later when we're burned out do we say, oh, now I'm poor in spirit after I've done it all on my own. Mm. But I was thinking about the times God's made me poor in spirit are really the situations where I have from the get-go no idea how to do it properly or how to do it in a holy way, like how to raise teenagers. In like situations I didn't expect, I'm like, I have no idea what to do. In those situations, I feel like I recognize my poor in spirit, but in other situations, I don't recognize I really am a poor in spirit in that too. Yes. I think it's both things, things that you talked about. So either it's a kind of a downward slide because you're slowly more and more and more realizing, oh, I can't do this. Or you realize it from the go. Being poor in spirit leads you to a place of humility. Yeah. And to a space of a place of, wow, like I cannot do this. It has to be God. It's the, the tying down of doing. What Jesus taught, I think, is it's not about doing, it's about being. Right. And when I was loaded down with with that, it was like he said, Dia, come to me. You're heavily burdened. You need me. Mm-hmm. You need rest. You need to learn from me. And all of that made me realize that all of this doing was wearing me out. And so I had to actually start at the very beginning about who the Holy Spirit is and what He does for me today. Mm-hmm. Because when I was growing up, it was the Holy Ghost. And right. We were not schooled in Him, taught Him, discipled in Him mm-hmm. at all. And that was something that I had to learn and do. And so it did come about, who am I? The Spirit of me, not doing, but being. That good Southern Baptist Texas, they didn't want to bring the Pentecostal in. They didn't want us to know about it. <laughs> right. I'm really certain that they were afraid we were going to put our hands yeah. in the air. And I tell you, I am so far away from, from that Southern Baptist thing that... I, we were raised in the same church, I, I think. <laughs> you know, that they were down the street. You couldn't go there. Right. So our culture does everything mm. it can do to keep us from being poor in spirit, whether you're talking about in a spiritual sense or not, because think about our culture. And when you, when you look back at what Jesus taught, he was fighting the same battle in, in terms of changing culture. It was a revolution yeah. back then. And I think about that right now, is that if we are going to be a culture changing Christian, we're going to be in a revolution of how much has changed with people having their rights what is good now is what I desire. That's a revelation. Right. It's a revolution that that is what is going on right now. How do we change that mindset? For our, First of all, for ourselves and then people around us in our communities. 
I love to listen to some other podcasts about culture and about like politics and things that are going on. And, and all those things can be very, very, very overwhelming when you're like, oh my word, the world has gone cray cray. We are so far from God. We're so far, not just from God, but we're so far from even having any basis for where our truth even comes from. I'm talking the world doesn't have a base for their truth. Everything's a moving target. Everything is Everything is relative. It's what I want. It's all about self. I, I feel like we haven't even gone back to the garden. The garden, they still, they still, you know, knew that God was in charge. We've, we've gone so far back that it's, it's all, all about me, me, me. So when I think about, wow, like what impact can I have as a almost 36 year old, you know, mom of two kids, like what impact can I have? And it gets overwhelming. You're like, what can we possibly do? And what we can do is to quote Elizabeth Elliot is to do the next right thing or for the younger moms in the crowd, Anna from Frozen 2 also says, let's do the next right thing. My primary job is to influence the people that I can reach. It's not to necessarily change governments, to change like leaders. You know, I can change my family. I can love my kids. They aggravate me sometimes, but when I lose my cool, to have the example of coming to them and asking them for forgiveness, they can see that and they start defining their truth based on God's word. In my marriage, I can offer grace when we're really, really struggling with being pulled in a million different directions. I can say, wow, like we, we're not doing a great job, honey. Like I'm not doing great. Can you forgive me? How can we do this better together? Because I know that our marriage is a way to share the gospel with the world. And then I said about my about my job, I am around many vendors and venue uh, people that are believers here in Birmingham, which is great. But I'm also in a community of people that maybe don't say that Jesus is the Lord of their life. And so in the way that I carry myself when there's conflicts that arise, how I respond to those, the way that I go, go, go all day on a wedding day, but then say, you know, my joy truly comes from the Lord. The source of that joy is from Jesus. Like I have opportunities all the time just to speak to what I love and who I am, that that stems from Jesus. And people are like, wow, like, like that's so like interesting. Like, tell me more about that. And you're like, that really happens. People still say, tell me about why you, why you have joy from that still happens. It happens to me almost every single weekend. So those are my spheres of influence. And then my neighbors, I walk with a girl up, to, up the street to get our kids from school every single day. I try to speak truth into her life. I try to ask her, like, how can I be praying for you? What are you going through as a mom? Like, how can we walk through that together? I think that's how we're going to change culture. You know, it, it could look like marching down a street and standing up for, you know, whatever. But I think we're, we're going to have more of an impact if all the women in, who love Jesus said, these are the people that I can influence and this is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to do the next right thing every single day with God equipping me to do it. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to spend time on my knees. I'm going to pray and we're going to see world change. And if we don't see world culture, massive culture revival go on, well, you know, Jesus is coming back next. So right. we're just going to be ready and we're going to be faithful. Jesus came to be the king, but the people that were watching for the king were expecting a government 
And so our change may not look like changes in government or changes in society, but if there are changes in our hearts and our families, then that begins to have a ripple effect. Yeah, if our Christianity changed our culture and we don't let our culture change our Christianity. Right. And I, that we're really, we're on the border of sliding into that dangerous realm. But I, think I don't think we we're just, on the border. I think we're, we're in just, there. We're just, it's like a, a slip and slide. And yeah. you, know, you can't really stop unless you grab onto some grass, maybe on the <laughs> way down. But I think we have to be very us as this church, as this group of women, we have to be very intentional that that is not going to be me. Lord, let that not be me. Lord, please help that not be me. And I think that we will see change in ourselves. We will see change in our family. And I think we will see change in these local spheres. And it's also about identity. We are in a definite identity crisis culture right now. And your spirit, your will, your character is a lot of what Jesus talked about. Inside you, that culture, that identity is who you really are. That's why he said, you don't have to try anymore. So it is about having our will and our center turned over to him every single day. It is something that is a spiritual formation. Oh, but thanks be to God that he can take that thing and have it renewed vitalized, given to you with the help of the Holy Spirit and unmerited favor, grace for just working out in this life how you're going to live. Mm-hmm. That that whole porn spirit thing, since it's not a command, you know, you can't beat yourself into right. porn spirit. Right. That identity is what needs to be nailed to the cross and he gives you that new one. So that you can act out of who you really are on the inside and you don't have to constantly be thinking about it. Right. The disciple Peter and how he made the great claim. Jesus and the disciples were walking on the road and he, you know, Jesus often poses these questions like as they're walking and he says to the disciples, who do they say I am? Just asking like, and that's kind of a culture question. Who do they say I am? And so they're like, you're Elijah, you're like John the Baptist back from the dead, you know, and name all these super spiritual people. And then Jesus, I imagine it like a pose and a turn or a stop and a turn. And he says to them, well, who do you say I am? Mm -hmm. And it's a personal question. And Peter makes that great claim. You're the Messiah. Then immediately Jesus goes into the teaching of, but I'm going to suffer. Let me prepare you that this is going to happen. So again, that poor in spirit, that servant attitude. And then Peter rebukes him and like pulls Jesus aside and says, do not say that. Don't go saying that you're going to suffer because of exactly what you were saying. They were looking for an overthrow of the government, like a governmental leader. And then Jesus moves into, you have to take up your cross. If you're going to be my disciple, you have to take up your cross and follow me. So I think even then it was just this countercultural, like you were saying, movement at the time that the disciples even struggled with. I think Peter was sort of embarrassed by the idea of a Messiah, a leader that was going to suffer and be humiliated on a cross. Then as much as he loved Jesus, he denied him. Mm-hmm. When he said, I will never deny. That came out of his his character. He hadn't had the Holy Spirit yet. So he was acting out of what 
he knew. He was acting like Simon, yeah, who he was before. Right. Yeah. He was, he was, we act, you know, when, when fear approaches us, when we're not getting our way, that, that thing can bubble up to where you're, you're acting who you truly are. Mm -hmm. That is why it is just paramount that every day we bow on your knees, have the Holy Spirit come in and say, take away any boasting or anything that I have to say or do, make it be you. So what do you think? Did our conversation help you understand what it means to be poor in spirit? Well, actually, once we started talking, we kept on talking for a long time. So we'll continue our thoughts about this topic in the next episode. Don't miss it. 